The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the IMG Robot Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Eva Bolio or Dr. Eva Bonsu. She will tell us how she likes to be called. But I'm so <laughs> excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome today on the IMG Robot Podcast, Dr. Eva. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm well. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, it's amazing because we've never met each other in person, but thanks to social media, I feel like I know you, right? <laughs> That's true. The connection was so instant and it was easy. It's become like an easy friendship. And I feel like I've known you for so long, but you're right. We never met we've never in person. Met. Right, right. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Well, I guess it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help that I'm holding your book in my hand and I feel like I have a life-size Dr. Eva in my living room right now. <laughs> Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about yourself because other people may not know who you are. They may not understand what we're talking about. So just give us some background. Okay. So I was born in Haiti and I grew up there until about the age of 15 when I moved to the U.S. But let me backtrack a little bit. Both of my parents are doctors. My father was a radiologist and I say was because he passed away last year in August. And my mother was Thank you. My mother was a um a dermatologist, and I say was she's still alive, but hang on. But I say love uh, was a dermatologist because when she left Haiti to come to the to the U.S., she had to take her U.S. MLEs over and just apply for her residency and do that all over again. And she ended up matching in family medicine, so she does family medicine now. So we came to the U.S. when my mother came to the U.S. I was fifteen. Um moved to Miami, and then ended up going to medical school in England, believe it or not. I did my first two years of med school in England, um, and then transferred to Ross University, and I'd never been to the island, never been to Dominica, but I transferred into the school and did my clinicals all over in the States, um, and I ended up in Georgia for my residency in internal medicine. Um, I'm in Georgia still, and I, I'm a full-time hospitalist. I'm married. I have three children, and that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Wow, that's an amazing story. Um, you know, <laughs> typically on the podcast, it, it just happens that we tend to interview IMGs for the most part, um, and so that, you know, it's pretty cool because I wanted you to come do this because I read your book, Paging Dr. You, but also, you have this unique background and unique story to it. So that's pretty impressive. Can you tell us where you went to medical school and how you ended up in the UK? So I did my undergrad in Boca, which is about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Miami. And since I moved to Miami from Haiti, I didn't want to be too far from my family. So I got accepted into um, Florida Atlantic University, FAU. And there is where I met a lot of other, you know, people from Haiti and different other countries that were very passionate in, about their studies 
and a few of them wanted to be doctors. So we became like a clique. Um, we became friends, like almost instantly family and kind of encouraged each other. And a couple of them wanted to go to school in England. And that's where the idea came for me. And I looked into this school called um, St. Chris and applied, got accepted and went there. So that's how I ended up in England. Oh, wow. Wow. So that was, that was how you got paged to, to be Dr. You, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I started to be paged. To, yeah, to right. Be Dr. Me. <laughs> Dr. You. That's funny. Cause, so Dr. Eva, for those of you who are just listening and don't know who she is, she's a, a new author of a medical book. It's a step-by-step guide to becoming a doctor. It's called Paging Dr. You. It's available on Amazon. And I haven't told you guys yet, but I'll be doing a giveaway. If you're listening to this episode, you are eligible to enter for a free giveaway of her book. You get a copy of her book and a copy of one of my books as well, Beyond Challenges. The only way to enter would be to leave a comment or a review about this episode on whatever platform that you use, um, and you'll be entered for a free draw of these books. Uh, so definitely a great book. So can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write the book? So coming from Haiti and doing my high school in the U.S. and then doing my undergraduate in the U.S., I definitely had an opportunity to go to medical school in the U.S. Somehow the path took me a different route and I ended up in England. I did two years there, transferred to Ross University and did my clinicals in the U.S. with other kids or, you know, other medical students from U.S. schools. So meeting those kids from U.S. schools, doing rotations with them, becoming friends with them, listening to what they went through and comparing my journey kind of gave me the perspective a little bit of having both. Um, Then I did my residency in the U.S. I did my residency in Georgia. So when I finished residency and started practicing, I realized that there are a lot of people out there that are like me, that want to come into the medical world, coming from other another country and not really knowing what to do, along with other people in the U.S. who also don't have any clue as to what to do. Like kids that are in high school in the U.S. grew up here, they also don't have any guidance. So I wanted to kind of write something to guide um, anyone that really wanted to go to medical school or thinking about it, giving them a guide to know what to do from from point A to point B. And that's the reason why I wrote the book. Wow, that's a that's a really good passion that you have because I think sometimes there's something to be said about going through an experience, learning from it, and then sharing that lesson back with, you know, the younger generation to be able to benefit from, you know, hard earned lessons, because you didn't have to share this, right, but you chose to. So I'm sure that we really appreciate that. So one thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast, usually our conversations tend to gear towards um, the residency portion, which is the last portion, actually, of uh, getting or becoming a doctor. Um, And in your book, you know, I'm looking at the last few chapters, you know, chapter nine, where you talk about how to write a personal statement that would stand out and how to choose a specialty. Can you just give us some advice as to first, you know, 
how to choose a specialty to apply into, and then maybe we could touch a little bit on the personal statement part a little bit later. So I think for IMGs, the challenges are a bit more. We already know that. You know, you one, I'm one, and we know a lot of people that are IMGs too. So you have a little bit more of a challenge. You need to do a little bit more to put yourself out there and show that you deserve that spot, just like the others. Um, in order to pick a specialty that will give you, well, let me backtrack. In order to make it into residency, that's the goal. The goal is to match into a residency program. Because once you're in a residency program, you already know you made it, unless you really mess up. But if you get accepted into a residency program and you match and you're in, like you said, it's the last step. You're in, you're done. And that's a great accomplishment. That's what all of us want. Um, but considering that we are IMGs, we also have to remember that a lot of these specialties are very, very competitive. Some are more competitive than others. So for me, I had to think smart. You know, what do I really want to do? What's my passion? And at the same time, is that something that I'm going to be able to match into? So I have to be realistic with what I want to do, what my scores are. Do I have any connections? Am I going to be able to match into dermatology or radiology or vascular surgery or, you know, plastics? Those are very, very competitive fields. I'm not saying it's impossible, but we also have to consider those things when trying to pick a specialty. Um, so yeah, I just want to put it out there, you know, to really think about what it's going to take when applying for residency. Right. And so can you tell us maybe your perspective as to why these specialties are considered competitive? I have an opinion on it, but I kind of, I'm just interested to hear your perspective because you had pretty good scores. I think we talked about this once. Um, so, you know, what are some things that make you perceive or what are your thoughts on the competitiveness of some of the specialties that you outlined? Wow, that's a good question. Like, I did have good scores, but we always tend to minimalize, you know, how potentials. At least I did that for, for me, I did that. I was always thinking, well, it doesn't matter what my score is. I'm from another school, from another country. I'm from Ross. Even though Ross is one of those schools that is well known, I'm still considered a foreign medical graduate, which in my mind automatically made me not even consider the higher, uh, more competitive fields because we tend to doubt ourselves. You know what I mean? Um, there's no telling if I had applied to radiology, if I could have made it in, maybe I would have. But um, at the end of the day, I settled for internal medicine, which I didn't mind doing. Right. Um, right. So why are all these other fields competitive? I think there's many reasons for that. Um, a lot of those competitive fields also do not take a lot of they don't have a lot of spots family medicine pediatrics ob internal medicine tend to have more residency slots available um some of these other competitive fields don't have a lot of spots available and i'm gonna be frank there's a lot of systemic racism as well so depending on what you look like what your name might be on paper um when you show up you know 
what the color of your skin is, they may or may not accept you into a residency. I mean, they're not going to tell you that's what it is. They're always going to find another excuse. But I think there's a lot of that as well when it comes to um, getting into some of these very competitive fields. I would like to know what you think. What, what do you think those fields are competitive? You know, I carry a different perspective. I think, I, well, some similarities I should say first is I think there is more of, there's more, there are more spots in those top five IMG friendly specialties that you mentioned. So, you know, for example, for internal medicine, there are thousands of residency spots across the country. Even though, you know, compared to the number of doctors that apply, there's always more doctors applying than there are spots in all specialties. But that being said, definitely there are more spots that exist for IM, FM, PEDS, uh, and so on. Now, when you narrow it down to Durham, maybe for example, there are very few spots in general across the board to where all the people interested in dermatology could just never match into dermatology at the same time each year. Um, so I think the, the, the competitiveness really comes, I think that's where it starts from because you know, in my opinion, I really don't think it's a medical knowledge thing, even though we've used scores as another way to sort of filter through who gets uh, to be an orthopod versus not. But um, I really think that m most physicians, especially given the appropriate training and personal interest, could be great at just about any specialty that they're committed to. Um, so for example, I would not be an orthopedic surgeon ever because I'm not interested in it. Um, but I believe that if a IMG was interested in that and had the skill set and was willing to be trained and did the research and, and passed the boards and did really well, they could potentially pose themselves to be in a scenario where with proper networking, proper mentorship, proper, uh, sponsorship, even presenting at conferences, they could be exposed to a program that's willing to accept them. Um, but, you know, that wouldn't be the majority. It would be for the person that's willing to, you know, really kind of push and, and kind of stand out to do that. So it takes a lot more effort, courage, gusto, and a lot of networking to get there um, as well. So, you know, I, I like to think that IMGs, irrespective of where they come from, can eventually get in. Um, but we have to acknowledge that the data has proven to us that obviously it's slightly more competitive mm -hmm. than for the American mm -hmm. graduate. Yeah. Absolutely. And even if you are an American graduate, I still feel like they will always pick John Smith over somebody else like you know a black person who qualifies just as much that's my opinion you know um especially in some of those very competitive fields when you look at orthopedic surgery or you look at radiology um and even dermatology i mean throughout all specialties we already know that blacks are a, a minority we already know that but some of these other specialties, you almost don't see any. Um, that should tell you something right there too. Right, right. I see your point. I, I definitely see your point. I've never, I mean, I've thought about it because of obviously the, the percentage of physicians that identify as black is definitely, I think the last I heard was 2% or under, I'm not sure if that was just for 
it's it's about two to three percent women and two to three percent men so if you add it all up it might be something like five percent men and women right so you know that definitely brings the point of um the percentage of physicians in general is fairly low Mm -hmm. that would be that consider themselves black right so Mm -hmm definitely across the board this speaks to a disparity which is there and we could definitely do more as a community um but a lot of times i i like to caution imgs to not think about that as the first thing um that would hold them back because i kind of believe that maybe a little bit in our subconscious when we have that in the forefront it also holds us back from really kind of showing up and showing out i agree even though there is a disparity, you know, I try to make sure in my head that I'm not waking up each morning thinking that, well, today is the day that I'm going to get disrespected because I'm a black physician or I'm not going to get an opportunity handed to me because of the color of my skin. Because even though that may occur in certain instances, we all, we all perceive that when it does occur, whether it's subconscious, unconscious bias, racism, bigotry, direct or indirect, um, we, we know when those things occur. But I've found that I'm more productive and more likely to succeed at what I'm doing if that does not become the first thing that pops in my head when, when things are not going my way. Because it allows me a little bit of gusto to fight, maybe. It doesn't allow me to be crippled by maybe just the thought that I don't stand a chance because of this, as opposed to if I know that there's something I can do, then I keep you know, forcing my way into it, so to speak. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I do agree with you. I mean, it's there. We cannot ignore it. It's there. It's in front of us everywhere we go. Every time you turn on the TV, when you're on social media, you always see it. So it's there. It's easier said than done to turn off that switch. But we should definitely put an effort to try and do our best no matter what. Um, Focus on our our studying, focusing on, you know, doing the best that you can, doing the best personal statement, um, getting the best letters of recommendations, um, and showing your best self to put yourself out there and show, show them that you do qualify for that position and that you deserve to be here just like anybody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. So, you know, we were just looking at, I was looking at a part of your book, just kind of going through a day in the life of Dr. Eva. Um, and, you know, I followed you on social media for, for a pretty long time, even prior to us ever meeting or knowing each other in, on that space. But um, can you just, you know, maybe give us an idea of what the life of a hospitalist looks like? Because I'm a hospitalist too, but I've never really gotten a chance to share what I do. Um, so can you, can you do that for us today? So I'm going to assume everybody knows what a hospitalist is, but for those who don't know what a hospitalist is, um, I'm an internal medicine hospitalist and sometimes they are family medicine hospitalists. But for me, I only take care of adult patients in the hospital setting. Um, that's what a hospitalist is. It's a hospital doctor who only does everything in the hospital. So my schedule is usually seven days on and seven days off. So I work for seven days straight. And then I usually get a break of seven days off. On my seven days on, 
my schedule, which may vary sometimes, but for the most part, it's 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, so I usually wake up at 4.30 because for me, I've noticed that when I am at work before my shift starts, I get to, you know, um, be a little bit more focused. So I usually get to work between 5 and 5.30. I get my list together. So I, I gather on my patient list and I go through all the labs and all the notes and everything through the computer system, get to know what's going on a little bit in the chart itself. And I'm on the floor usually starting my rounds to see my patients physically and speak to them and do my exams and all of that within an hour. So by the time most of the hospitalists are coming in, I'm already walking out of the office to go and do my rounds. So when I'm in the office between 5 and 5.30, I'm by myself, which allows me to focus on what I'm doing more without any distractions. Um, and then when they're coming in, I'm walking out to go around on the floor. And usually at that time when I'm rounding, it's 6, 6.30. It's still the same nurses from the night shift. So I can get to talk to them because they've seen what's going on overnight. So there's also no distraction on the floor because the new nurses are not coming in yet. And you know, when that happens, there's usually a sign out that goes on between the night nurse and the day nurse. And the floor is usually chaotic. Nobody knows what's going on. They have to switch phones. They have to switch paperwork. And so I like to be on the floor and round before that dynamic even happens. Because again, it's more peaceful, it's more quiet, it's more focused. Um, so I see all my patients. I'm done rounding usually within a couple of hours. Depending on how many patients I have, it may take me three hours. And then I go back to the office and that's when I really do a thorough, you know, calling family members, going through every single labs, um, talking to every consultant, ordering stuff. So I usually do that for a few more hours. And by the time I make it home, I'm done with all my charts. I don't bring any charts home. So one of the reasons why I go early is because for me to focus and not have to bring anything home is major. I have young kids. By the time they come home from school, I have to attend to them as well. Um, so I don't want to have to do extra work when my shift is done with finishing up my orders and my charting. I want to focus on the kids and everything else they have going on, whether it's homework, whether it's going to tutoring, whether it's going to you know a swimming practice or something like that. So that's usually what my seven days working is like. Um, I'm not gonna lie, that seven days on is pretty exhausting. I'm tired mm -hmm. by the time day number five comes. <laughs> I'm counting down the days. And then on my off days, you know, I take that time to just replenish, take care of other things that I need to take care of before the week is over. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty busy schedule you have there. Um, definitely something I understand. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that's amazing. So let's get back a little bit into kind of the work that you do. So, you know, one of the things I really admire about you on social media is you have this knack for dropping sort of pearls of wisdom on your page which if you guys are not following her on instagram you need to be um we'll include your instagram handle in the show notes if you want to tell us as well um but one of the things i really like is that you always seem to have these like 
words of wisdom. And I'm always like, how does she just, how does this just come up, right? Like, how do you just create these? Can you give us some <laughs> pearls of, of wisdom for IMGs, understanding the struggle that IMGs go through and some of the things that they have to deal <clears> with? You know, you, you identified some sort of um, maybe uh, more of, I would say, a racial issue as well, but some IMGs too are non, uh, you have IMGs that are US IMGs, for example, maybe that could be Caucasian or non-Black. So I'm sure there are other struggles that you can identify that IMGs right. in general typically experience. Can you just speak to that? Well, when I started my social media page, I started it as a way of expressing myself and I looked at it as something fun and it was an outlet for me. Um, I needed to find a way to express myself and also find a way to motivate my own self. Sometimes you need to motivate yourself. There could be so much going on with life and then having to, you know, figure out how to study for your exams or get into a residency program. Or even if you do get into a residency program, there's challenges with that too. There's challenges with working. If you're done with residency, there's always challenges with stuff. You know, life in general is full of challenges. So for me, finding a way to motivate myself and putting it out there, like, you know how sometimes people write things in a diary and they like to see their things written down on paper. To me, I wanted to write something very motivational and positive to mark my day, to stick in my mind and to just make me be a little bit more positive. Um, and then I noticed that other people were also getting motivated by it. So I just continued to do that. Um, so every day when I do post, or every time that I do post, I post something from the heart. Like I don't always prepare my post ahead of time. I may have, you know, a picture that I took two, three days, a week ago, fine. But what I write usually comes to me the day that I write it. You know, if I'm having a bad day, or if something happened, or if I'm beating myself up too much, or I'm too hard on myself, then I write something positive that I want to see that can help somebody else and in turn help me as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Thanks for, for sharing because I, I look forward to some of those posts. Uh, very motivational. Thank so, you. You know, we really appreciate having you on here and, um, you know, before we let you go, what would you tell somebody who is contemplating about reading your book? What are they missing out on? Oh, <laughs> if you're in high school or you already completed your journey and you're coming from outside and, and you're trying to find a way to be motivated or find a way to even get started or being better, you know, I encourage you to get the book for sure. Um, I'm dropping a lot of gems on how to prepare for your MCATs, how to write a very good personal statement. When is a good time to start gathering um, your professors or the people that you think are going to, that you, you're going to be asking to help you with personal um, letters. Um, you know, the timing of when you need to start your application when you're applying to medical school, or when you need to start your application if you're applying for residency. There's a lot of things on there that could be helpful. And if you're somebody who's in high school, for example, how to build your credit because medical school is not cheap. And sometimes 
you may need loans. So you have to have credit for that. A lot of people do want to go to med school, but because they don't have credit or they have nobody else to pay for them, um, or they have no financial assistance, they're stuck. So it's little things like that that can help you go from one point to another. So I would encourage to buy the book or if you know someone who may benefit from it, it would be a good thing to get for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, guys, if you want to win a free copy of Paging Dr. You, a step-by-step guide to becoming a doctor by Dr. Eva Bolio. In addition to that, I'll also be adding one of my books, Beyond Challenges, um, in this packet. And you can win that by simply reviewing this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to it, and you'll be entered for a free draw to um, win. So thank you so much, Dr. Eva, for coming on the podcast. We appreciate having you. We wish you nothing much, nothing else but more success and um, can't wait to get this book in the hands of more people. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.